0: Right. So you probably didn't hear that. But uh, <coughs> yes, the, the film strip projector was projecting a lot of heat, and I had the film strip backwards and upside down, and both of them at the same time. And I learnt from that that you should always practice your technology before you start. So I always approach um, these things with, with a backup plan. So I do have a written. Um, notes just in case that everything fails, but hopefully it won't. So, some of you know that I used to be a teacher, and some decades ago, as I get older I realise that the stories I tell should be prefaced with some decades ago instead of some years ago, but I was a sole-charged teacher, and uh, I think the Board of Trustees gave me the job because I had two kids I could contribute to the school role, and one of them was only five. And at the uh, back of the school was a fence which separated the schoolhouse from the um, school and there was a gate in there. And one day after the the van had taken the other kids off to their farms I was walking with the five-year-old back up to the house and as we got through the gate she turned to me and said are you Mr Temby or are you dad now? See Mr Temby was a bit strict. He would say Now it's time for reading, and you did reading. Now it's time for maths, and you did maths. And because I was teaching my own kids, I was, like most teachers, I think, trying not to favour them in front of all the others. So perhaps I went the other way and was a bit strict on them. But Dad was a different character. Dad would give you a hug. He would allow you time to play with your toys, and he would read you a bedtime story. So as we got through this gate, this five-year-old, very perceptive, I thought, was trying to work out how one person could play two different roles and how this gate was somehow important in this transition. But you know, we all play many roles. Right now you're playing the role of an attentive audience and you're doing it very well. But you see, Jesus played many roles as well. Some of them he's played and some of them he's continuing to play. And what I want to tell you this morning is that Jesus is so much more than a first century rabbi who taught us the golden rule. The key to this is found in uh, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9, where it says, what we do see is Jesus who for a little while was made a little lower than the angels. You see, the, the 33 years that he took on human form was but a tiny sliver of his existence, because he exists in eternity past, he exists in eternity future. So on that little timeline I've drawn there, you can see the incarnation is a very narrow but very important sliver of time. So the question that I had, that I asked myself, is what was Jesus doing before he became that baby in Bethlehem? Now John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he goes on to say that without him, nothing was made that was made, indicating that Jesus was involved in creation. And even the phrase, in the beginning, mirrors Genesis chapter 1. He also see, John also records that in uh, John chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus was explaining to his disciples the only one who has seen the Father is the one who has come from him. And he repeats this, I think it's in Matthew 11. Now this raises a question. Because when we go back and read Genesis with this in mind, we see this an unusual verse in chapter 3, verse 8. Now they, which was Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So it appears that the Lord, or the word is Jehovah, um, was in the habit of coming down and walking and talking with Adam and Eve. But if no one has seen the Father, then it wasn't the Father. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't take human form, who was it? Well, that only leaves one choice. So it must have been Jesus who walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And it was Jesus who, not only establishing a fellowship with them, but also disciplined them when they disobeyed. Now sometimes I looked at that and thought, gosh that's harsh, but then I realised that our Bible teaches us that because of their disobedience we all get that disobedient gene no matter how we try to behave. Now theologians, and most theologians are very good at making big words, have made up a big word for this. They call it a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in physical form. And surprisingly, there are a number of them recorded in the Scriptures. Some of them are very obvious, and some are quite cryptic. But they give clues as to who Jesus is. One of them, I don't have time to focus on all of them, but I want to pick on just a few that are key, I think. And one of them is found in Joshua chapter 5. Now Joshua, by this stage, had become the leader of the nation of Israel, He was in charge of about two million people. They'd come out of the desert and they were about to go into the promised land and there was a big obstacle in the way called Jericho with huge thick walls. And it says, One day Joshua was near Jericho when he saw a man standing some distance in front of him. The man was holding a sword so Joshua walked up to him and asked, Are you on our side or are you on our enemy's side? Because Joshua wasn't afraid. And had he been on his enemy side, Joshua, I think, would have had a go at him. But but neither he answered. I am here because I am the commander of the Lord's army. Now what I've done through these slides is I've highlighted some of the titles that are ascribed to Jesus. And when we look at these Christophanies, there are two things we should look at. The title that is um, being used and the response to that. So here is Joshua, the leader of two million people, a man who has faith in God and has demonstrated his faithfulness and has been Moses' disciple. And what does he say? Joshua fell to his knees and bowed to the ground. I'm your servant, he said. Tell me what to do. And the first thing he was told was, take off your shoes, for this is holy ground, which kind of reflects back on Moses' experience. So this was a divine being that Joshua met and straight away he recognised his authority and he was willing to do what he was told to do. There is a very interesting and slightly cryptic reference in Exodus 23 where they're told, look, an angel will go before you when you come to the promised land and you are to obey what he tells you to do because I have put my name in him. So maybe Joshua thought of that, but I think what he did was to recognise the authority in this figure who was talking to him. And after that, the commander of the Lord's army, or in some versions the captain of the host, gives him the strategy for taking Jericho. But some hundreds of years later, the angel of the Lord turns up, which is another name for Jesus. And when we find these references to angels, notice a couple of things. An ordinary angel does not accept worship because he knows he's a created being. But the angel of the Lord, when he turns up, does. And so here we find this incident where the angel of the Lord approaches Gideon. And Gideon is a completely different person to Joshua. Gideon is not the leader of anything. And so he says to him, the Lord is with you, valiant valiant warrior. Now at that stage, they were being attacked every time harvest time by the a whole lot of people coming out of the desert and stealing their crops. So he was hiding in a wine press, threshing out some wheat, and suddenly the angel of the Lord pops up. And what does Gideon do? He argues with him. He said, well, if God is with us, why are these things happening? And he said, as for me, I'm not an important person. I'm the least important person in my family and where our tribe is in the least important tribe, I'm nothing, I'm a nobody, and you call me a valiant warrior. So after a while of negotiating, it finally dawns on Gideon that maybe this person speaking to him is a bit more important than he thought. So he says, look, would you wait here while I go and get you an offering? Because he's got this suspicion that maybe he's put his foot in it. So he goes and he gets... Uh, some meat and some bread, and he puts them on a rock, and then something amazing happens. The angel of the Lord put out his staff that was in his hand, and the fire came up from the rock and consumed the meat and bread. And that's not something you see every day, <laughs> unless you throw petrol on your barbecue, maybe. <laughs> <clears throat> so, what was Gideon's reaction? Because then, poof, the angel of the Lord vanished which is even more spectacular. And then it began to dawn on Gideon that this was not an ordinary situation, that this angel of the Lord that he had met was divine and was holy, and he certainly wasn't. Then Gideon perceived he was the angel of the Lord and said, alas, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He was scared. I think that's where all would be. This was, a say, another of these Christophanies. And if you read the story, and I encourage you to do so, you would find that after the angel of the Lord had disappeared, he then said, don't be afraid, you shall, you shall not die. And if it was me, and a disembodied voice said, don't be afraid, you won't die, I think I'd be more afraid. But that's what happened. And, of course, he continued to relate to Gideon and to uh, cause him to be a judge in Israel and to defeat the Midianites. So these are just three um, little episodes that I've picked on from Genesis to Judges, where Christ appears in a human form. There are others. Now in the kingdom period, there were no of these, of these Christophanies because the Holy Spirit was active, encouraging the, or motivating the prophets And their job was to keep the kings on track, and they tried, they really did. But eventually, the Israelites still kept falling back into idolatry, and God allowed them to be taken into captivity in about 586 BC, when they went into captivity in Babylon. But there, in Babylon, we have another unique Christophany. You remember that Daniel interpreted a dream for Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar was a despot, a tyrant. And remember, he said to the, his magicians and his sorcerers, I've had a dream, interpret it for me. And they said, but you've got to tell us the dream. He said, no, I can see what you're doing. You're trying to trick me. No. And so he was going to kill them all. And Daniel interprets the dream and tells them that the statue he saw had a head of gold which represented his empire. Well, after that, I don't think Nebuchadnezzar was listening. He was just thinking, Head of gold, my empire, me, I'm the golden one. He went to his head. So he built a huge golden statue and then said, When the band plays, you have to fall down and worship it. But there was a problem because there were three young men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who said, The God we worship can save us from you and your flaming furnace. Um, This is the contemporary English version. But even if he doesn't, we still won't worship your gods and your gold statue. Nebuchadnezzar's face twisted with anger at the three men. So he was used to being obeyed. If you disobeyed him, he killed you, he killed your family, and he pulled your house down, which is very thorough and suddenly he was faced with this: these guys objecting and not doing what they're told and he knew or suspected that if these Jews didn't do what they're told the others might rebel as well and so there was a real possibility that not only would he destroy these three men but he would destroy the entire Jewish nation so he biffed them in the fire then after a while he said, hang on a minute, didn't we throw three guys in? But I see four men walking around in the fire. None of them was tied up or harmed, and the fourth one looks like a God. I believe what had happened was Jesus was intervening because his, he was trying to fulfill or help God fulfill his plan, which was to have a Jewish nation where the Messiah was born into, who would become the Lamb of God, who would... Uh, save us from sin so he intervenes and what what would he say to these guys I mean you're bound up and you're thrown in the furnace and you think well this is it and suddenly you're standing there and think oh I'm still alive I believe he said something like hey guys I've got this don't worry you're not going to die neither will the Jewish nation in fact Nebuchadnezzar had to call them out of there so they were quite comfortable probably toasty warm So just in these little four episodes I've looked at so far, we've seen different titles used for Jesus in his pre-incarnate state. He is called Jehovah in Genesis. He is called the Commander of the Lord's Army when he meets Joshua. He is called the Angel of the Lord when he meets Gideon. And each of those shows you an attribute of Christ. He is authoritative. He says to somebody, Do something, and they do it. He's reassuring. He tells the guys in the furnace, Look, don't worry, I've got this. He tells um, Gideon, Don't be afraid. And he's protective. He protects his people. And he's still doing those three things today. He's still authoritative, he is still reassuring. When we stuff up, that's why we come to communion so often. He comes and we receive that forgiveness and we realise that Jesus still loves us. And he's protective. He protects his people. So then we come to the incarnation. And this is an amazing event that we've just celebrated where the Lion of Judah becomes the Lamb of God. And the Hebrews puts it this way. Jesus died to rescue all of us who live each day in the fear of dying. And when the epidemic of COVID arrived in this country, we were told 80,000 people are going to die. And I remember I was in the supermarket in Cromwell and with a mask on and I was trying to follow the right uh, paintings on the, on the floor. And I got to one aisle and I saw this woman coming down the other one and she was sort of freaked out when she saw me I don't know why, I had the mask, had all the gear and stuff. And we did, you just dance around the supermarket and thought, why is this? Because we were all terrified we were going to catch this horrible lurgy and, and drop dead like the, it was the Black Death. And when you are in a hospital sometimes with a serious um, illness, you do think about this, you think, ooh, maybe I should have done some other things before I got here because who knows, I may not get out of here alive particularly when you see other people around you who look sicker than you are. So fear of death is a real thing. But Jesus didn't stay on the cross. We know at Easter and we celebrate it that it's not only his death, but it's his resurrection that's important. And Paul puts it like this in Romans. Christ died and was raised to life and is now at God's right side interceding for us. So the writer of Hebrews says, that Jesus is our high priest and that's what a high priest does he intercedes for us and there's just one man between us and God and that's Jesus but Jesus is also our judge now traditionally judges have very high elevated benches and it's intimidating for the people who have to go there in the court and it's designed to be intimidating but you know And when it says in 2 Corinthians 5.10 for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ it's not one of those big benches because the Greek word it's used is bima which means a low bench seat. And the reason that we have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ is so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body whether good or bad. Now I don't know about you but when I come to communion, I repent of my sin furiously. Because, you know, I don't want anything held against me. And when I do that, I realize my sins are separated as far as from the east as from the west. So that nothing, I am guiltless at that point. Of course, I may not be by the time I leave, but at that point, my sins are forgiven. There's nothing bad that can be held against me. Paul also in 1 Corinthians 13, to 12 said this, Christ is the only foundation. Whatever we build on, on the foundation will be tested by fire on the day of judgment. So I believe this is the same thing. Then everyone who will find out will, will find out if we've used gold, silver and precious stones or wood, hay and straw. So our works will get judged. But that's not a scary thing either. You see, when you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and think, I will pray for a certain person, that's gold. When you make a meal to give away to someone else, that's gold. Or when you chop firewood. When you give money to a a Christian humanitarian organisation, that's gold. Whenever you do something for somebody else out of compassion or because you felt a nudge of the Holy Spirit, that's gold. So what are these other things, the hay and the straw? Well, that's when you give money to the church in order to buy influence. And sadly, I've seen that happen. Or if you decide, I'm going to be a great tele-evangelist, not that I can save souls, but people will look at you. Or these days, you might want to be a great influencer and say, yay, I've got thousands or hundreds of thousands of followers who hang on every word. Why are you doing it? Because you are trying to exalt yourself. And those things aren't worth much, so they won't survive. So generally, I think that um, when we get, at, get to the judgment seat of Christ, it's going to be a very positive experience. But there's one last image I want to share. And this comes from Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it was faithful and true. On Palm Sunday, we remember that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, which is a symbol of humility. But when he comes back, he's going to be on a white horse, which is a symbol of military power. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So the question is, this week, when you pray, who will you pray to? Will you pray to some first-century rabbi? who said all these wise things, or will you pray to the King of Kings? There are at least 50 different titles ascribed to Jesus in the scripture. Here are some of them. Bread of Life, Good Shepherd, Redeemer, Prince of Peace, Lion of Judah, Messiah, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Those are the titles that Jesus has been given in Scripture. So I wish to pray now, and I'd like you to join me. Lord Jesus, if we have diminished you in any way, then we're sorry. And this week when we pray to you, we ask that we would get a glimpse of your power, your authority, your greatness, and your majesty. And may, that, may we be like Joshua and say, Lord, tell us what to do. Amen.